I recently came across a story about a woman named Sarah and her struggle with anxiety in the face of COVID-19. Sarah is an educator, a wife, and a mother of twin boys. When the lockdown came last spring, her working life changed dramatically as she found herself trying to maintain her consulting career in a strictly online environment. Right about the same time, her two sons became remote learners, so she needed to manage their daily work as well as her own. Short time later, her husband came down with the virus and had to quarantine for 14 days. Well, that put all the household responsibilities on her shoulders, as well as worries about her husband's health, her children's education, and their financial futures. Oh, and they, they also got a dog right about the same time which they immediately had to take the, to the vet for an emergency medical procedure. Well, no surprise, but Sarah found herself overwhelmed with anxiety, something she had struggled with in the past, but, but that now came roaring back with a vengeance. It was crushing, she says, managing it all by myself. When you're in quarantine, you're so limited. My mom and others couldn't come in to help, I felt alone, like I was adrift. Well, Sarah's hardly the only one dealing with stress and anxiety these days. According to one survey, 53% of people say they have experienced increased mental health strain, such as anxiety, depression, loneliness, or stress, in response to the coronavirus crisis. That's one in every two people struggling psychologically. And as recently as October, 37% of adults said they felt hopeless more than a half of the days in the past week. And younger adults under the age of 30 reported the highest rates of hopelessness. And as if we didn't have enough to be anxious about, after the events of the past week or so, we now have to worry about the stability and security of our nation. Inauguration Day, which should be a day of national pride and unity, is now an event freighted with tension and fear. So Sarah's story and all these statistics, they simply highlight the urgency of the question we're raising in this series. Do we have reasons to be hopeful in the face of all the disappointments we've experienced this past year? We began the series by by finding hope in the face of sickness as we stare down COVID-19. But the mental health issues associated with the pandemic can be just as frightening and just as debilitating as the physical health issues. So what reasons do we have for being hopeful in the face of all the things we're anxious about these days? Let's go once again to the Gospel of Luke, in which we find Jesus speaking to this very topic. Now, his words are not just profound, they're beautiful. So I'd like you to hear them before we look at them more closely. So just listen as I read these words of Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, 
yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. They're beautiful words, aren't they? They bring our blood pressure down just listening to them. But, but what real hope do they offer us in the face of mental health challenges? Let, let's, let's look a little more closely. Uh, those words, do not worry about your life, make it sound rather unrealistic. I mean, with so many challenges, uncertainties in life, how can Jesus possibly say, do not worry? Sounds out of reach. Sounds tone deaf. And it certainly would have sounded that way to the people Jesus was originally speaking to. First century Jewish peasants had plenty of reasons to worry about their life. They didn't have cupboards full of food or closets full of clothes or retirement accounts full of mutual funds. Most of the people listening to Jesus likely had one or at most two sets of clothing to wear. Most of them lived off daily wages. If they didn't work, they didn't eat. If they didn't have children or a spouse, who would care for them in their old age? And the people for whom Luke was writing this gospel years later, those people were living under a pagan emperor surrounded by a hostile political and religious climate. So, so they had reasons to worry, and so do we. So how can Jesus realistically say, do not worry? Well, when you look closely at the words that Jesus uses here and, and later on in the passage, he's obviously not talking about the normal concern that any responsible thinking person experiences. I mean, the particular expression that he uses here implies chronic worry. It could literally be translated, do not constantly worry. And later on, he talks about running or chasing after things like food and clothing. So Jesus is, is describing a frenzied, all-consuming worry that, that dominates our thoughts and prevents us from enjoying life and, and these everyday gifts. Now, the truth is, we all worry to some degree. We all have what we might call flashes of anxiety, especially in these days of COVID-19. We wake up in the middle of the night with a scratchy throat or a cough. Uh, we learn that we might have been exposed to someone, and our minds immediately begin to race with all the implications of that possibility. Do I have it? How bad will it get? Have I infected my family? What about work? Will I lose my taste for moose tracks? <laughs> you can tell I've had some of these moments. Well, those thoughts, they might preoccupy us for a while, 
but usually we're able to, to talk ourselves off the ledge and get back to sleep or work or whatever it is we're, we're doing at the time. But not always. Sometimes we can't turn off those thoughts. We can't stifle those fears. We imagine worst-case scenarios, and we find ourselves in a downward spiral that we can't pull out of. We're afraid to leave the house. We can't concentrate on our work, and we can't enjoy the activities and the people right in front of us. Anxiety is worry on steroids. It's chronic, crippling, debilitating fear. And that's what Jesus is speaking about here. And as I worked my way through the passage, as I did some reading on overcoming anxiety, I found here at least three reasons that we can still be hopeful. Now, before we go too much further, I don't want to imply that that overcoming anxiety is as simple as three easy steps. Like every mental health issue, anxiety is complicated. It's rooted in all sorts of physiological and and psychological factors. For many people, it's it's much more than an occasional sleepless night or a lapse in concentration. And it's not unusual to need professional help or, or medication in dealing with anxiety. But I do believe that Jesus offers us some healthy foundational practices That can help all of us find hope in the face of crippling worry. So a first practice is to focus on the big picture. Focus on the big picture. See, anxiety is often triggered by isolated data points or experiences that suddenly become larger than life in our runaway imaginations. One student tested positive in your child's school. A mutant virus is detected in a distant city. Uh, We walk past someone who wasn't wearing a mask, and suddenly that's all we can think about, and our fears are off to the races. Well, mental health experts advise patients to to slow down their thought processes, to, to shut down the negative scenarios, to focus their thoughts in more positive and hopeful and and accurate directions. That's why one of the standard recommendations of mental health experts is to limit your consumption of social media and news feeds. Most of it is designed to prey on our fears and insecurities. And the more attention we give to those dark narratives and data points, the more space they begin to occupy in our thoughts and imaginations. Shut those things off, they say, and focus on bigger and better truths. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. Consider the ravens, he says. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. It's interesting that he calls their attention to ravens. Ravens aren't the most lovely or lovable birds, are they? I actually had to look pretty hard to find a nice picture of a raven. Most of them have flocks of ravens pecking away at a piece of roadkill or something. In the Jewish tradition, ravens were considered unclean birds. 
Jesus is arguing here from the lesser to the greater. If God cares about ravens, if he can provide for ravens, he most certainly cares about and can provide for people like you and me, made in his image. He goes on to say, Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Jesus is lifting their eyes and ours off of our everyday problems. He's inviting us to see see the bigger picture, to see the beauty and goodness in the world around us, to remember who God is and, and how he cares for us. He wants us to remember that every day, up until this very day, God has provided for us. We've had food on the table. We've had clothes on our backs. Most of us have had the health and strength to to work and provide for ourselves, to play and to enjoy life. If God has been able to provide for us to this point in life, even through all the tough things we might have experienced, isn't it reasonable to believe that he, he can provide for us tomorrow as well? So focus on the big picture, not the isolated aberrations. As we pointed out a couple of weeks ago, most people will not get COVID. Most people who do get COVID will recover with minimal lasting difficulties. Most of us will not go hungry or find ourselves homeless. Most sectors of the economy will bounce back. Most of us will find ways to stay close to our loved ones and our church, even during the shutdown. Most of us will not run out of toilet paper. Now again, I I don't want to discount or minimize the the possibility that some might find themselves facing those kinds of things, joblessness or eviction, and and we'll talk about that in a minute. But, But before we go to those dark possibilities with our worries and fears, let's remind ourselves of the big picture, that God has given us a good world with abundant resources, that he loves us and cares for us. He's able and willing to provide what we need. And that he can see us through this crisis just as he's seen us through so many others along the way. So let me encourage you to to, to put down your phone, turn off the TV, stop Googling COVID near me, go for a walk, watch some birds, Tell stories of God's provision. Write down these words of Jesus and put them on your fridge or your dashboard. Memorize them so you can recite them to yourself when you wake in the middle of the night. Because we find reasons to be hopeful when we focus on the big picture. A second practice is to do what you can. Do what you can. You see, anxiety is rooted in in helplessness, in this loss of control. We get anxious about things because they're beyond our control. We can't control COVID. We can't control what happens to our kids when they go off to school, whether it's to preschool or university. We can't control the economy or the outcome of an election. 
That's why anxiety is, is, is often worse in the middle of the night. Because there's nothing we can do in the middle of the night but lay in bed and fret. And that feeling of helplessness fuels our anxiety. But we're really not helpless. There are things we can do to protect and provide for ourselves and for those that we love. Now, Jesus reminds us that that God provides for the birds and the wildflowers, but, but Jesus also knows that the birds and wildflowers do their part too. Birds spend most of the day looking for food. Flowers spend most of the day reaching for the sun. I've got a couple of bird feeders out back at my house. Uh, When I forget to fill them up, the cardinals and chickadees don't pace the backyard fretting about when I'm going to show up with more bird seed. They go off in search of more food. And there are things we can do to meet our needs and reduce our anxiety. We can't control COVID, but we can wear masks and social distance. We can't control what happens to our kids at school, but we can prepare them by nurturing their faith and their character at home. We can't control the economy, but but we can get up and go to work every day. So, So once again, mental health experts are only echoing what Jesus is teaching us here in this illustration. One of the best remedies for anxiety is to get up and do something. Clean a closet, go to work, cook dinner, take a class, anything that will get you going in a positive direction. And one of the things we can do is to get some help. Sometimes one of the best things we can do for ourselves is to tell a friend what's going on, or to see a counselor, or to get some medication. Uh, We learned a couple of weeks ago that sometimes God heals us by our body's natural defense mechanisms. Sometimes he heals us through medicine. Sometimes he heals us miraculously. And what's true for our physical health is just as true for our mental health. Sometimes we we can manage it ourselves. Sometimes we need help. We need the medicine and therapies that that God has made available to us. When birds and flowers do what they were designed to do, they generally flourish. And when human beings do what we were designed to do, when, when we work and rest and play, when we take care of our bodies and steward the resources he's given us, generally we'll be okay. So, so we do what we can. But I know there, there are still limits to what we can do. We can't control outcomes. We can't guarantee health and safety. And Jesus says as much right here in, in verse 25. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? There are limits to what we can do for ourselves and for those we love. So what do we do with the rest, with the things we can't control, with the things that wake us up in the middle of the night? Well, we can place them in God's hands. We can intentionally hand them over to God in prayer and entrust them to his care and his purposes. 
So, so that's my third reason or practice for finding hope in the face of anxiety. Focus on the big picture, do what you can, and then trust God for the rest and the best. See, we, we are finite beings. Our strength, our wisdom, our resources are limited. But God is infinite. His strength, His wisdom, His resources are unlimited. And so is His love. That's what Jesus is, is telling us here. How much more valuable you are than birds. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, how much more will He clothe you? You. You on the couch, you on the treadmill or in the car, wherever, you're, wherever you are right now. You are more valuable to God than any other created thing. God loves you so much, He not only gave you this world and all of its goodness, He sent His Son into this world to be with you and, and even to die for you, to, to rescue you from, from your weakness and failures, so that you, you can enjoy all of his goodness now and forever. God, God wants the, the best for you in this life and the life to come. And he's promised to be with you in this life and the life to come. If you'll let him, if you'll seek him, if you'll trust him. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, Jesus says. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Now, now when Jesus talks about the pagan world, He's simply talking about people who choose to do life without God, who who live as if there is no God, as if, as if their lives are entirely in their own hands. When you live that way, Jesus says, you have no choice really but to run or chase or strive after food and clothes and the essentials of life. Because if there is no God, then it's all on you, right? So when you can't get those things, when you can't guarantee health and safety and happiness, all you can do is fret. All you can do is worry. All you can be is anxious. Uh, remember Sarah, the woman we met at the beginning, and how she described her anxiety? She said it was, it was crushing to manage it all by myself. She said she felt limited. She said there was no one to help. She felt alone. And now in the end, she, she turned to a counselor and found some help. And that's good. We've talked about that. Counselors, too, are limited. So are friends and family. So Jesus is reminding us here that we have someone greater to turn to, someone whose resources are unlimited, someone who's promised to be with us and for us no matter what, someone we can trust with our health and our safety. So, so we can hope, even in the face of anxiety. Because as important as food and clothing are, uh, the best things in life, uh, love, joy, peace, meaning, belonging, purpose, these things are not found in any earthly thing or activity. They're found in relationship with the God who made us, 
The God who gave us all these things to experience and enjoy in this life and in the life to come. Those of us who've been able to visit some of the poorer, needier places on earth have met people, followers of Jesus, who have very few of the things that we think are essential to happiness. People who have little more than than the clothes on their back and a flimsy roof over their heads. And yet they seem to have found a joy, a faith, a love that, that I confess I can't fully comprehend. If they can be hopeful, surely we can too. So we can have hope in the face of anxiety, knowing that our lives are in the hands of a God who is strong and wise and good. I want to say that again. We can have hope in the face of anxiety, knowing our lives are in the hands of a God who is strong and wise and good. Uh, I decided to, uh, to ring in the new year by doing something I haven't done in almost a year. We went to the movies. Now, I know that might make some of you anxious, and it made me a little anxious. But, but we masked up and sat in the back, and, and there were literally nine people in the theater. And we saw the film News of the World with uh, Tom Hanks playing the part of a battle-weary Civil War veteran named Captain Jefferson Kyle Kidd who makes a living by riding from one Texas town to another, reading people news from around the world. Well, unexpectedly, he finds himself transporting an orphaned white girl who'd been raised by the Kiowa Nation. She speaks no English, and and he's supposed to deliver her to some distant relatives. Now, he's not all that happy about it, and, and neither is she. Now, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but as you can guess, they, as they make their way uh, across the badlands of the Southwest, they encounter all kinds of trouble. Bad weather, bad people, bad luck. Time after time, the, the seasoned soldier sees them through, sometimes with his fists and firearms, sometimes with his wits and savvy. And as they go, a bond develops between the two of them. He, he discovers an affection for her, and, and she learns to trust him. And for a time, at least, he becomes like a father to her. Now, now, throughout the film, we catch glimpses of the captain's hands. They're calloused and cracked, usually dirty, sometimes bloody. But since he can't communicate with her verbally, he relates to her with his hands offering her something to eat, guiding her by the collar through an unruly crowd, pointing the way to their next destination. And in one traumatic moment, he he offers his hand to her, and she takes it for the first time. Now, I'm not going to give away the ending, and since it's going to start streaming this weekend, you don't have to brave the movie theater to see it. But it's a beautiful illustration of the truth we are learning here. We are not alone in this fallen and sometimes frightening world. Someone goes with us. Someone strong and wise and good. A father who knows what we need and is able to see us through anything this world throws at us. If we let him. 
if we put our hand in his and trust him. So, so we focus on the big picture, we do what we can, and we trust God for the rest and the best. In prayer, we name the thing we're anxious about, and then we place it in his hands, entrusting it to his wisdom and strength and goodness. These are anxious times. I know that. More anxious than, than any time many of us can remember. So as we head into this new year, uh, let me encourage you every day and in the middle of the night if you need to, to place your worries and anxieties in the hands of God. The hands of Jesus. Hands Hands that were cracked and calloused from years of manual labor in the carpenter's shop. Hands that were dirtied by the dust of the road and, and contact with sick and troubled people. Hands that were bloodied by the nails that pinned him to the cross where he died in our place. Those hands have earned our trust. So, as, as we listen to this next song, I want to invite you to, to name whatever it is you are worried about. And in prayer, place it in Jesus' hands. And if you have not yet taken his hand for the first time, if you've not accepted his invitation to go through life together, I invite you to do that too. And as always, if, if I or we can be of help to you in any way, spiritually, please reach out to me, brianatgrace.org. If you should have material needs, if you're facing a financial crisis, please reach out to your campus pastor or to me. And, and, and if you'd like to, to talk some more about anxiety or parenting or finances, we're going to be starting some short-term groups focusing on those topics. We'll tell you more about them at the end. But for these next few moments, let's, let's enter into this reflective moment, and then Akash and Stephen will close out our time together.